Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. Uh, welcome here in the room and behind the camera. So glad that you're here. How about some Bible study? Um, I'm going to continue on in, in the, the story of Elijah. And uh, uh, we've got a couple of great uh, passages, really cool uh, parts of the story of Elijah. And when I use the word story, I don't mean sort of a fairy tale story. I mean something that actually happened and that God showed himself strong. And so the, the reality is, is we've got a couple of those passages and a couple of those great messages coming up over the next two weeks. So you're going to want to be here for that. But I wanted to just sort of call out uh, this uh, while I had the chance and to say, uh, you might have noticed a pattern. You might have noticed a sort of a theme in uh, uh, Elijah's story and Elijah texts in the Old Testament. And um, the theme is very reminiscent of what we just sang about. God works all things uh, together for good, for my future, your future, and for his glory. And that's, that's kind of the theme that Elijah is learning all along, and I think that's part of what it's doing in here. Uh, and that song actually comes from the book of Romans, which also has a, a passage I'm going to read for you in a minute uh, that relates to Elijah. And so I think the theme really is, you, you, can, you can kind of run that theme. And honestly, now you know kind of the method in my madness for picking a, going through Elijah right now. Because uh, the question is, you know, if you put it another way, what are we supposed to do? What are God followers, what are Jesus followers supposed to do when we're sort of on the outs? When we're on the outs of, say, family. You might be on the outs of the family. You know, that you're the Christian and, and so forth, and you, you, there's sort of some tension there. What, do, what are we supposed to do? How do we operate? How do we operate in a culture, in a society, when we're on the outs? Because we're not all the way on the outs, but we're on the way, Right? And, and that, that society can be on the outs locally, like where you live, where, where you go to school, where you uh, go to work, that sort of thing. Or it can be, uh, you know, nationally or, or internationally in the West, that kind of thing. Or what happens when you're on the outs like Elijah was with the government, with the king? Again, I don't think we're there yet, but we'll talk about that in a second, but but what about that? How are we supposed to operate in the midst of that? And what's interesting is the passage that we're coming to today, it, it, it reveals sort of the this, this storyline in a way that really sets, I think, uh, this story right front and center in our lives right now in this time, in this moment. See, the, the thing is, um, it, it's not a joyous story. A lot of Bible scholars and a lot of even commentators, quite frankly, kind of skip over it. It's a little awkward. There's a few cringeworthy moments in it. Whoa, God, that was over the top. That kind of thing. And so, and yet, if you look at it and scratch below the surface, what you see is an overarching theme that has been true all the way through our study of Elijah about who this God is that it was Elijah's God, this Yahweh person, God, this Yahweh God. Who is it? And why Elijah's life can flourish because God is who he is. And it relates directly to our situation, directly uh, to our moment. I mean, uh, let me be as, as clear as I can. I don't think that we are in that situation where uh, even like, like Elijah's time when we are so on the outs with uh, the cultural elites or the government or whatever else. I don't think we're there. Oh, could we be there? Maybe someday. Yeah. Uh, in our lifetimes? I don't know. 
But we're, we're not all the way there, but we are experiencing some of that friction already. But here's the thing. Whatever cultural moment you live at, whatever time you live, whatever culture that is, that's the only culture and that's the only time you got. Whatever family you're in, that's the only family you got. So all the promises of a joyous life, of the wondrous life of being able to look at God and say, man, I wonder what he's going to do next. It's got to be true for all of them, if what the Bible says is true. And I think that's the point that is being made in Elijah's story that goes directly to the, what we're feeling and what, where we're at in, in this life. And, and to sort of prove that, to show that, the Bible has sort of co- different sections that sort of commentate on itself. And the Apostle Paul, as I said, in the book of Romans, comments on Elijah's story and gives us what he thinks is the whole point of that story. Look, look what he says, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 11 of the book of Romans. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. He's talking about being a part of God's original chosen people. And God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Quote, Lord, you have killed your prophets, and they they have killed your prophets, and they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life, unquote. Remember when he was up on Mount Horeb, and he was hiding out up there? That's what he said to God. But what was the divine answer? What was the divine's response to him? Quote, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, unquote. In the same way, Paul says, there has also come to be, a, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. What's it saying? Doesn't matter what it looks like or how far in the outs you feel in your family, culture, wherever it is. Doesn't matter because God has not left the building. You and I are not alone. In the midst of the pandemic, you are not alone. Because God has not gone anywhere. In fact, he has kept for himself people. You're not alone. You're with God, and Jesus is always there too. But you know, you're, you're, there's people. There's many more people than you know. And I'm working in many more lives than you maybe can see on the surface. And I think that's the message of Elijah. But as we come to this passage, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Kings right now. Um, by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, two kings comes right after one kings, just to be clear. I mean, it, it, it got divided out in 200 BC with some Greek translators, but you don't really care about that and you shouldn't. But um, it, it's, uh, it's a, it, uh, the point is, is it just carries right on through. It used to be a unified story. It's just, it was just sort of an editor's decision there to, to break them up. But it was written to be read all in one all together. And what we see here now is that Ahab, the old nasty king Ahab, has died. He was killed in battle, and uh, uh, wounded in battle, and then killed, and, and he uh, uh, is gone, and his son has taken over, and here's what happens, beginning on the verse 1 of Second uh, Kings. Now Moab broke with Israel after the death of Ahab, and Ahaziah fell through a window lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, which is their capital, and became ill. So I don't, we don't know how, you know, but he fell through a win, window lattice. So he was the klutzy king. He only lasted two years. That didn't work out very well. But it said, so he sent messengers and said to them, 
Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god, small g, of Ekron, whether I will recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, It is because there, or is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god, small g, of Ekron? Now, therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not get down from the bed upon which you have lain, but you will certainly die. Then Elijah departed. <laughs> and, and so, so what we have here is sort of a, a set of good news and bad news. The good news is Ahab's dead. That, that may be nasty news. I mean, it may, may be a nasty way to put it, but I mean, think about this. He was the conduit of the sewage of, of uh, paganism that had entered the country. The rejection of God. He was the one, via his marriage with, uh, uh, and his support of Jezebel, bringing idolatry and getting people to stop worshiping God. He's the one that hated the word of God. Why? Because every time a word from God came down, it was against him. He just hated it. Instead of thinking about maybe it's true, maybe there's something I should change in my life, he just said, nope, hate it. And wrote it off. So that's the good news. The bad news is, is his son Ahaziah has taken over. And he was a chip off the old deadly block. And so he, he, he gets in this trouble. He somehow, you know, uh, finds himself either drunk or something that falls into this lattice work and falls through a window. And he's totally messed up. He, you know, he must be seriously wounded. So he sends messengers down to this little squatty idol of a god about 45 uh, miles to the uh, southwest uh, of uh, Samaria place called Philistia, which is where the Philistines, people like Goliath, come from. And he goes down there, and he, he sends them down there to ask this little squatty idol thing, hey, am I going to live? And it's Beelzebub. And, and we've heard of Beelzebub before, right? Because in the New Testament, they accuse Jesus of being Beelzebub. But the, that's when Jesus tells them about the uh, unforgivable sin which is basically calling something that God has done uh, of Satan, because Beelzebub was, in fact, by that time, uh, considered to be, as a, nah, he was a false god, in fact, he was a demon at, at best. He was Satan himself at worst. So there's kind of some debate about who Beelzebub was by that time. But in, in these days, that's the kind of deity this, this Beelzebub was that, that Ahaziah was looking for, for some help from. And, and you know, it, 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 it dawned on me... Um, the other uh, day, that you know, what we put our hope in, what we look for help from, you know, it, it hasn't changed all that much, even though we're so much more sophisticated nowadays. It hasn't changed all that much. We all want to, I mean, we, we don't. We, our, our, every society goes through those fits where they think, well, you know, we don't need God, we can do this. We don't need God for, you know, morality, we can do this. And that's what's happening to us today. There's a sort of a superimposed morality. And I thought about that a few weeks ago about the hypocr hypocrisy for that, of, of that. It just kind of dawned on me. You know, the, the hypocrisy of moral colonization. You know what colonization is? It's a bad word today. Statues are coming down, all kinds of stuff for colonization. And there's some good reason behind it because colonization is when in one country, particularly in, in our world, the Western world uh, uh, of the, uh, the wealthy countries taking over the not-so-developed countries, you take, a country will come in and uh, colonize it, and will take over the country, will conquer the country, and then impose its systems, its morality, its belief systems, and try to impose those on that country. 
Now, we're not talking about what is true in terms of religious things or, or uh, you know, Christian or not Christian. Anything. We're talking about imposing on another country uh, its morality and so forth. And, and people are rightly standing up and saying, hey, you know what? That's not right. And, and, and in the old days, uh, which you know, was probably about a year ago, um, we had this thing called pluralism. I think we actually taught it in school. I don't know if we teach it anymore. Pluralism in the United States, that it's possible to have your own uh, you know, belief systems and your own faith and your own religion, and there's freedom to do that. And it doesn't mean we all agree or that all of them are right. It just means that there's pluralism in our society, and, and you have the chance to, to, to speak to that. Well, now, nobody's talking about pluralism anymore. There's sort of this imposition of this new morality, and there's, so there's a colonization of our morality happening. And what's weird is the very people who are, are, are screaming the loudest about bad colonization are the ones that are driving the colonization of our morality. Over the top. We don't need God. We got that. And that, that's kind of what's happening here. It hasn't changed all that much. But the good news in here has to do with the first thing I think we're supposed to learn from Elijah's story, specifically this one, where God says, hey, go tell, Eli- go, go tell Ahab this, and then he departs like he's always been doing. And, and, and it's this. Regardless of what, what, what culture situation, family we live in, the fact is this, times out of earthly power can be the best days for God's people. What? Yeah. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be politically uh, savvy. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote. Doesn't mean that there aren't any Christians in uh, Washington, D.C. or in Salem. You've already heard me say that. There are. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that when you know, Christians or uh, God's people feel like they're losing, uh, you know, their, their power over certain things in society. God hasn't lost his power. And, and when we do think we've got, our, got all our power ducks in line and, you know, that's not a really a, a healthy place for us. Because when, we, when we're in that situation, it, it, the, the, the natural human tendency is to get a little apathetic and sit back and think, well, well I don't need to worry about that. And to put our hope in, you know, sort of our affluence or our hope in this thing or that thing instead of putting our hope in God. Or put our hope in the state because after all, it's, you know, this person's got the power. But what I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not wishing for us to kind of be rolled over in, the, in this culture. I don't think that's right or anything like that, like I already said. But what I am saying is it, it's the sense of, hey, you know what? Over the course of history, whenever the church, whenever God's people have gotten their hands around the power and the workings of the powerful and the elites and the the government even in some cases, it always goes bad at some point. Because there's this human temptation to trust in somebody other than God. So when we're on Elijah's side of it, when we're seeing it, we're getting on that side of it, doesn't mean we should, you know, enjoy the ride and just sit back and woo-hoo, look at that, we're, we're, we're on the outs. It just means that, hey, God hasn't gone anywhere. This is just as big an opportunity, maybe more of an opportunity to, sh- to expect God to do wondrous things, to watch and say, I wonder what God's going to do next. Even maybe more so. Because Jesus, who is the only one who can really fix the power of the state, I mean, not this state, but the state as in a government state, He's the only one, right? And he has promised that he is coming back to do it, which is a promise that Elijah did not have yet. So in that sense, we're better off than Elijah at this point. And, and, and it's important to recognize that because 
I think that our job right now is to watch and to expect God to make some moves. Who knows what they'll be? We don't know. But that's the reality. These are the best times for us to be able to see that clearly. And we see it clearly, really clearly, uh, in the next passage. I'm going to read you. The next uh, 11 verses, actually, or nine verses. And it's going to be a long passage, but I, 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 I dare you to try not to listen to this. That's always a good one. I dare you not to, because there are a couple of really cringeworthy moments in this passage. And if you like reality TV, you're going to love this one. All right? So here we go. Listen to this. When the messengers returned to Ahaziah, he said to them, why have you returned? In other words, you weren't gone very long. You didn't have time to get there. Verse 6, they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God, small g, of Ekron? Therefore, you will not get down from the bed upon which you have lain. You shall certainly die. Then he, the king, said to them, what did the man look like who came to you, meet you and spoke these words to you? And they said to him, he was hairy with a leather belt worn around his waist. Ah, oh, that identifies it. He said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now watch the comparison. There's a comparison in here uh, that is really, really a big deal. It really, really is interesting. But here we go. Verse 9, then the king sent to him, that is to Elijah, and a captain of 50 with his 50 men, and he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on the top of a hill. That is, Elijah was sitting on top of a hill. And he said to him, the captain said to Elijah, you, man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah replied to the captain of the 50, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Verse 11, so the king again sent to him another captain of 50 with the 50 men. And he said to him, you man of God, this is what the king says, come down quickly. But Elijah replied to him, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men, 50. Then fire came down from heaven uh, and consumed him and his 50 men. So you're starting, thousands of years before Einstein, you're starting to get the definition of insanity right here in the Old Testament. <laughs> Trying the same thing over and over and getting the same stupid result. Okay, so here we go. But things start to change, and there's a very good reason for that. Look at this, verse 13. So the king again sent the captain of 50 and the 50 men, with 50 men. And when the third captain of the 50 went up, he came and bowed down on his knees before Elijah and begged him and said to him, You, man of God, please let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire uh, came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. Now let my life be precious in your sight. No fire. You see, I, I'm being a little silly with the passage, and I, I know it feels terrible. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm really not. I'll explain that in a minute. But here's the thing. God's, this, this fire coming down stuff, whose who's doing is it? It's not Elijah's doing. It's God's doing, Yahweh's doing. And secondly, it's not, you know, 
that the king is inviting Elijah to dinner and for some, some drinks and some conversation. He wants to kill him. And, and you might just say, well, why fire? I mean, that sounds disgusting. Well, one thing is it's quick. The second thing is it's that the reality that God is who he is, the way God showed himself, uh, fire was a very big deal in those days. It communicated better than language. Fire, boom. Remember, remember um, Mount Carmel? You know, the, the 450 prophets of Baal dancing around all the time, and all of a sudden Elijah gets up and prays, and woof, fire comes down on the altar? That was the sign that God, Yahweh God was real and the others were phony. And in that day, that was sort of the nomenclature. And you can bet Ahaziah may have been a young person at that point, but he can remember Mount Carmel. And the people of Israel remembered Mount Carmel because they were shaking in their boots. It was like, okay, I guess we better follow Yahweh. And the, the, the press, the, the, the social uh, networks, the, the, the social uh, media, the, the newspapers, all must have still had sort of a quiver in their liver about the God who sent fire. And so in that sense, as a communication tool, just on that level, this is important. But the real dynamic here is the contrast between the new two men. Ahaziah, what did this guy look like? Oh yeah, beard and leather belt. That's Elijah the Tishbite, I hate that guy. Or this captain who seems what happened and gets on his knees, not necessarily before Elijah, but before God's representative, Elijah. He says, please let my life be precious in your sight. You see, the point is, is Elijah was not Ahaziah's problem. Yahweh God was his problem. Anyone who drives a people and a culture in a direction away from God, we're not your problem. God is your problem. And ultimately, that's going to be your problem. It wasn't, it wasn't this captain's fight. It was the klutzy king's fight. This shouldn't have had to happen. It should not have been necessary for these you know, first hundred guys to get torched. It was the king's problem. And it was sloppy, schlocky, horrible leadership that caused it to happen. Of this king. Of this guy who was out of his league. So God is not looking to off somebody. That's what we need to understand from this text. At a higher level, it shows his heart. His heart for this captain who was sort of caught in the shadowlands. He's caught between his king and what he knows is right. Is he a full-on believer in Yahweh? We're not told that. Doesn't seem to indicate that. But, to, but did his plea and did his openness about who he was and who Elijah was and who he knew was to be true, did there give kind of a bond of brotherhood between the two? I bet it did. It also shows the, the contrition and the, how, how the, the humbling ourselves before God, even though we're not sure we completely believe in him, it shows how those people, you, 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 God can even choose to use that as a covering for other people. Who, knew, who knows what the 50 in, the, in his army made up, but he was speaking for them and covering it. It also says for those of us who are Christians, hey, this business is about covering people that are close to us or covering people that are around us with prayer, even if they don't follow Jesus, we don't know that. It's, it's a real thing. It's a reality. That prayer covering is a reality. That God looks at that, that he pays attention to that. And it's not just that this guy says, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. That's not it. When the word life shows up, when he says, please let my life be precious in your life, it's not just a physical thing. It means my soul. 
Please let my soul and these 50 souls, all of who we are, please let me be precious in your sight. And God says, that's easy because you are. You're made in my image. And now we're talking because you've turned to me. Don't worry about the old king. And so God doesn't send the fire. You see, this captain reminds us of something I think that is really, really important in our day and of all days, that all over God's story, his, his book, his revelation, his revelation of truth here, all through that are these people who you look at and you go, uh, I don't think they're God followers yet, but they sure seem to be seeking the truth. All over the place. Why are those people there? Why doesn't God just tell us how great he is and forget those people? Because he wants us to see those people. He wants us to keep our eyes open for those people. And it's not just in the Old Testament times or the New Testament times. It's in our times. There are people that God brings front and center to you and I all the time who may be marching out in their armor and we see that and we go, oh, you know, that can't be a good person. But underneath all that, because they're scared too, all that kind of bluster and hubbub, all, all, all that is to say that underneath all that is someone who's actually seeking the truth and cares about that. And so that's the second thing we learn from this. Never let current events close your heart to people who are genuinely seeking the truth of God. How are you supposed to know that? How are we supposed to know? I can tell you, it must be what Elijah experienced. It must be the Holy Spirit whispering in our ear. He experienced the word of the Lord. And so if, God, if it's true that God brings people in our place, then, then we need to listen and be open to that fact. Hey, God, would you just help me be awake and have my heart and the ears of my heart and my eyes of my heart open to the fact that you might bring people into my path that don't appear to me at first to be seeking the truth, but you brought them into my life because I've got the truth and I need to share it with them. Would you just give me that wisdom and then leave it with him and be aware and keep your eyes peeled because he loves to do those kinds of stories in people's lives. You see, what you see here is, uh, is we see the ultimate cancel culture, don't we? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the fire. God's fire is answering. It's not the culture at large. But Ahab, Ahaziah, kings before, are trying to kill off the prophets. They're trying to cancel the word of the Lord. And that doesn't turn out very well, does it, precious? No, it doesn't. I mean, it just, it, it just it causes all kinds of havoc in a culture. See, the thing about cancel culture is, if we, live, if we learn anything from uh, uh, you know, secular revolutions and cancel cultures of the past... It's that ultimately the ones who are starting the cancel culture ultimately get canceled. I mean, just to ask the people whose books are being canceled now. I mean, just to ask, ask people like, uh, you know, the leaders of the French Revolution, like Robespierre. Within about two years, Robespierre was in the cart going to the guillotine. That's the most famous one in history, anyway. The, 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 those who, who bring about cancel culture ultimately are canceled themselves. But here's the silver lining. We have a chance uh, to see hearts open to God's heart. In a moment, even in the midst of, of cancel culture, there is a sort of silver lining that 
Some of this canceling is going on because we, the culture at large is realizing that there have been people that have been marginalized and people that have been hurt and wounded by the way we've treated them, that, that, that that's just wrong. And God wants us to be sensitive to that. It, the problem is, is there are so many people that we should be sensitive to do and care about, right? I mean, I've run into people and Christians, particularly under this pandemic, who have said to me, you know, I just don't even know how to pray. I just kind of quit praying. It's not that I hate God or anything. It's just, it's just overwhelming to me. When I start praying, there's so many things. I mean, people with sensitive hearts, Christians with sensitive hearts. I mean, you, you pray for this thing and that thing and this thing and all oh, the pain and pain and pain. And it just kind of builds up and you get depressed. And God doesn't mean for that to happen either. So people, I've talked to people who just quit praying. That's not the answer. The answer is, God, would you transform my heart into who I need to be praying for and who I need to be uh, caring for? And would you just rise up all kinds of people in your church that are doing that so we can, we can reach every, because no human being has the ability to care for all of that. Now, regardless of what the culture tells you, I mean, just, just for a moment, look at the, cult, look at the um, cancel culture and look at the competing groups who are competing for who gets to cancel who. Because my group got to be first. No, my group's got to be first. My group's got to be first. The only one who can hold that all together. The marginalized should not be marginalized. We should love those who are on the edges, the poor, the needy, the, the people we should be sensitive to. We absolutely should. That's part of God's design for us. But the only one who can hold that all together is God himself. And the power of his Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. So what I'm saying is, in moments like this, that's the silver lining. That's the opportunity that God, I think, has for us, to keep our eyes peeled for those who are seeking the truth, for those he wants us to care and love and pray for. And would you just make my heart bigger? Would you do the supernatural thing, make it possible for me to do that and pray to you and talk to you like that? You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not as complicated as I'm saying. It's just ask God to expand your heart with his, by his power and then calm your heart for those things you don't, he hasn't called you to. Doesn't mean we forget or care not care about people, but the people he brings in front of you, you'd say, God, make sure I care for them. You know, there's this, uh, this article and podcast that's sort of making the rounds during this pandemic, especially as we're starting to come out of it in 2021. Uh, it's uh, by uh, a guy named, uh, sort of a church coach guy named Kerry Newhoff. And Kerry Newhoff wrote an article called Eight Disruptive Tr Church Trends That Will Rule 2021. And I'm not going to read all eight to you, but I'm just going to do a couple of poll quotes here. The first one is this. Nobody should be able to uh, out-local or out-community the local church. Remember last Sunday? Community Life Sunday? Nobody should be able to out-connect the local church. We got a really cool announcement just a few minutes later I want to share with you that has to do with this being the community in the community and being here for this community. But last week was so cool because it was about, hey, we're coming out now. Let's kind of connect. And did you hear what you know, Jordan uh, uh, mentioned last week, uh, Genesis 2, 18? God said the first thing that he said that wasn't good after saying everything's good is, hey, it's not good for a person to be alone. It's not. We ought to be the proof of that. We ought to be the proof of that. Hey, we're, we'll be here for you. We'll connect with you. Yeah, so we got to do it through live stream for a time. And yeah, we don't like... Live stream, you know, it's a non-person. And I'm not saying we're ever getting rid of live stream. We're not, ever. Because it's, it's a new opportunity. We've learned that during this time. But that doesn't mean we always sit at home with our cornflakes and watch church without anybody else around. Because that's not church. And that's why it feels that way to us. See, the isolation, if it doesn't bother you, 
Well, let's put it this way. If it does bother you, that's a good sign because that's meant to bother you. If it doesn't bother you, then we got a problem we need to have a talk about. If I never, I'm ever going to connect again, that's the problem. Because we're going to talk in a moment about how God relieves Elijah's fear and how he can relieve our fear about coming out. But nobody should be able to do that better than the local church or the community church in our community. And secondly, Newhouse says, the future church will consist of Christians who look, live, and sound much more like Jesus than the political candidate of their choice. You see? That doesn't mean we don't care about who we elect. doesn't mean we don't get involved. All that doesn't mean any of that. I already said that. It just means more and more, we have a more and more chance to look like Jesus. But here's the thing. The more you look like Jesus, the less you're going to look like the culture that's rejecting him. So, of course, you're going to be different. But trust him with that. Trust him with the fact that we are different and that we're looking different. Let's, let's make sure if they're offended, that they're, they're offended by the gospel and the cross, not by us. You know, that kind of thing. And let God take care of all the rest of that. And that's kind of where God goes with Elijah at the end of this thing. Look at this. Look at verse 15. It says, And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, that is with the captain, and do not be afraid of him. He got up and went with him to the king. Elijah got up and went. It may be too soon to quote Dr. Seuss, but um, have you seen the book Marvin K. Mooney? And the book, the time had come, so Marvin went. The time had come, so Elijah went. There comes a time when it's time to come out of the hidey hole. There comes a time to, there's time to, 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 to move on. There comes a time when the hiding place becomes a joyless place. And so God says to uh, Elijah, when it comes time to come out of the pandemic, and I think, by the way, that's going to be different for different people, so we're going to give each other grace on this. And we are not going to be a church who fights over masks or no masks. Not going to happen. And I'm I'm just glad to be a pastor of a church where I can easily say that without worrying about whether people say, what? Yes, we are. You know? No, we're not. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna care for each other's concerns and fears and care for each other, period. And that's, but that's why God says, you know, there comes a time when it's courage to take a step down the hill. That's, a, that's how Elijah got down the hill. He put one foot, and then he put another foot, and another foot. Probably tried to lead that captain to the Lord or make sure that he was... Firmly, firmly a God follower along the way. He saw an opening. Uh, but, but, but the thing is, is that God over 365 times tells us, don't be afraid in his word. And that's why. Because there are many times in life that if we, if we don't have that full sense of who he is in our lives and the presence, we're not going to flourish because we're going to be afraid. We're going to be holed up forever and ever. Doesn't mean if you're watching the live stream right now that that's you. Doesn't mean that at all. We're not even talking about that. We're just talking about when God says move, pick up and go. And let him tell you when. That's the reality. You see, God is not going to let the Ahab of this virus or any other Ahab or Ahaziah shut him down. Have you noticed throughout history and throughout the Bible and throughout the, the story of kings and everything else? Have you ever read that? Throughout our history, every time an Ahab, Ahab or an Ahab, Ahaziah rises up, whether it be figurative or whether it be personal, sooner or later, 
they go away. Sooner or later, they're taken out because only God is eternal. Only God lasts, and only he's the one that can offer us that kind of immortality. And so in the context of that, we learn a final thing. So when God says move, when God says go, God will take your fear and replace it with something to do in his time. Why does he replace it with something to do? Go to him, Elijah. Why does he do that? Because he knows that just sitting around in our hidey hole, just sitting around doing nothing, you you can't take away the fear and not replace it with something. So God replaces it with the purpose, with the mission, with the calling. And we don't have to wonder about that because, you know, you can be a Christian five minutes and he's given you a calling and a purpose. You might not know everything about it. It's like, whoa, this is a crazy world. But you put one foot in front of another, go with him, Elijah. I mean, think about where Elijah's been. Because not only um, is the longer he has been in this situation, has the more distant from the reality of the kingdom uh, of him, uh, uh, the reality of Elijah from the reality of the kingdom become more and more distant in a culture, by the way, that was trying to force sameness on everybody. Does that sound familiar? But kind of this distance, not only was he becoming more and more used to the idea that he was different, yep, I'm different, but there was something else happening. Think of the pattern. God calls him to go uh, tell the King Ahab, famine, there's a famine coming. He does it. King hates him for it. Famine happens. But Elijah goes to the hidey hole because God tells him who to. Then Mount Carmel happens. He, he calls him out and says, okay, I'm going to challenge the prophets of Baal. God, God proves himself to be real and not the prophets of Baal. They uh, wind up getting the, uh, um, the, uh, the uh, God's law uh, executed upon them, so to speak. What does God immediately do with Elijah after the rain comes? Let's him go off into the desert, back to a really significant hiding hole. God meets him there down in Mount Horeb, the two mountains, Carmel and Horeb. Then there's Naboth's vineyard. Remember that story? Uh, Ahab acquires it wrongly, and finally uh, Ahab comes out of the hiding and tells, uh, uh, or, or Elijah comes out of the hiding, tells Ahab what's up and what God says. What does he do then after that? Goes right back to the hiding hole. And here he is. They found him again. Now God says, okay, it's enough hiding. Go with him. And, and Elijah just goes with him. Doesn't tell him he argued with him or anything. You see, I think God had taught Elijah well over this time. And it wasn't just head knowledge. It was experience. The eyes of his heart had been enlightened. I wonder what God's going to do next. Even if I'm a little afraid, I just can't help but go because I want to see what he's going to do. I want to see what's going to happen. He knew, he could imagine with the eyes of his heart how God was the only one who could address this mess. And that's the other thing. You know, not only do you get different more and more that you walk with God, the more you spend time with him, but the more you, you go through things like that, the easier it gets to get up and put one foot in front of the other. The more times you have that medical test, the easier it is to put one in front of the other. The more times you experience that situation with your family where you got to go back and say, hey, you know, I don't know if I communicated right, I'm sorry, and so forth, the easier it becomes, that kind of thing. I mean, the more times that happens, the easier it becomes. And, you know, I, I had an experience this week where I had, a, actually last week, where I had a surprise that really blessed my heart, okay? And, and, and the reason it blessed my heart is because a new book came out. You, you know, that, that blesses my heart. Uh, one that I've been waiting for. for that. You see, I've been waiting for and hoping for 
a, a memoir, a story of the life of my mentor, my Elijah in my life. So I'm just going to go personal here for a minute and ask you to humor me. My personal mentor, uh, Dr. James Houston, has been for since like 1983. He, he told me a story the first time I met him that has transformed my ministry and my life, and he's been sort of a spiritual director for me over the years. And I haven't seen him uh, personally uh, in the, uh, over the last couple of decades all the time, but we've emailed, we've called from time to time, uh, but he's got a whole world that's after him, so I can't do that, and he lives in Vancouver, BC, uh, but he's, uh, he's 98 years old now, be 100 next year, um, uh, Lord willing, and he, uh, I saw him, I did an interview with him in 2017 as we were walking back to the elevator in his condo, I said, Dr. Houston, would you please write your memoirs down? I mean, your story needs to be told, and uh, he said, well, I don't think anybody really needs to hear that. So oh, yeah, and I wrote him an email later. Said I'm serious. I'll come and record it, and we'll let somebody else write it. Somebody you trust, and so forth. But just let, let's get it down. And uh, lo and behold, I don't think it was because of me, because I think a lot of people were chewing at him on this, because he said that, you know other people have asked that. But in 2019, he published his memoirs. I just didn't know it till last week. It was like ah, oh, and the heavens parted. So I bought the book on Amazon. So I got this book, and I, I, I've. I'm going back over it because I scanned it. I couldn't wait. I scanned, 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 scanned all the way, you know, about 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, I didn't know that. But I got to the end and I came to this passage that I think fits perfectly with the story of Elijah and how this whole thing's going to wind up for us. Look at this. Dr. Houston, Dr. Jim Houston, Dr. Jim, we'll call him. For many years now, as by a pole star, I have navigated by this pledge from Proverbs 4:18 the path of the just is just as the is just the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more in the perfect day it gives serenity like seeing the angel in the window of the soul just like the word of the lord talking to you which by the way we have more of than elijah had in this book the older we grow the more preoccupied we are with death either trying to deny its existence or embracing it as entering into eternal life. Like the thief on the cross, I am comforted by his petition. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Luke 23, 24. But these, then these final words right after that. God needs no memoirs, no reminders, only we do. He doesn't need to be reminded that he's got his people to look after. He doesn't need to remind any of that. You see, what the point of that is, is it's possible to have a sense of joy and wonder of God and just what God might do next, even in the most impossible situations. Not happy-go-lucky, but real joy and wonder. Look at the title of Dr. Houston's book, Memoirs of a Joyous Exile and a Worldly Christian. Man, I wish he hadn't stolen that title. That's great. I mean, joyous exile. You know, sometimes you feel like you're on the outs, but it, you, there's joy in there too. And, and, and a worldly Christian, not worldliness, but a worldly Christian, a person who refuses not to engage in their world and to care for people and to love people and, and to be joyous in it. And I'm telling you what, Dr. Jim is exactly that. And all of that leads to our final thoughts here today. And again, they're in the process of, of prayers. And I know every time I, I, I bring, uh, end a sermon these days, I, I seem to give you something to pray about. And it's okay to kind of move on. I, didn't, I don't want to do what I talked about earlier, overwhelm you with prayers. So you can replace the old ones with this one if you want to. But just think about it this way. 
Ask Jesus to help you to be the person who is open to whatever he wants to do. And, you know, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Help me see what it is, because it's hard for me to see it. He, he loves prayers like that. Uh, ask him to help you see the daily people who are genuinely crying for his help, because he does bring them into our path. Maybe not every day, but he does bring them into our path. Help us to listen to that tug of the Holy Spirit. And finally, ask him for what he wants you to do moving forward, whatever forward looks like, and have the courage to do it. Ask him to have, have that courage. And if we live that way, what we're going to see is we are going to see lives that rise up and are free to trust him so fully that you can't help to be, go, you know, man, I wouldn't want to live any other way. In spite of these difficult circumstances, I would not want to be anywhere else or live any other way or be with any other people. That's the reality, I think, even of this crazy story in Elijah. It's certainly the reality of his life. In fact, let's thank Jesus for this story and thank Jesus for this uh, in prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to stay right where you are because we have uh, Ken Mays coming here to join me to give you some very exciting news uh, about what God is doing. Heavenly Father, we do honor you and, and, and thank you and praise you for the fact that you haven't gone anywhere. And Lord Jesus, thank you for being present with us every single day by your Spirit. You promised you would. It's just that we so often forget it. You promised and you've shown yourself to be true over and over again, but we just forget it. Lord, help us not to forget this week. Help us to trust you. Help us to have our eyes open, to know who you want us to care about, who you want us to, 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 to uh, uh, pray for and give a word to. And help us to be those kind of people who are joyous and engaging people in our world. Each other and know when to make those connections, but also with the people you just bring in our lives every day. And Lord, I just thank you so much that you love to do that in us and so much that you've given us the example of how you operated when you were here that way. We love you, Jesus, for all of this. And that is why we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.